Our Father in heaven, we are so grateful that we could be here and that we can be filled. Father, we're grateful for thy love and we're grateful for Tammy and for her preparation. We ask that thy spirit might be here with us, that we might recognize thy love and thy goodness and thy care. We're so grateful for thy son. Help us to always keep him in the forefront of our mind and feeling his love and grace. And we say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Okay. I didn't know you could start with a prayer. And today is the only day I went to all the classes. And every class I went to had a prayer. And I was like, they don't need help. I do. So we are starting with a prayer for sure. I just need to take a big deep breath, though, because I don't know how you do it. Like, I went to classes since 8.30 this morning. I started with Kristen Walker-Smith, FYI. You're going to need to go to her class tomorrow morning at 8.30. It is so good. So just get up a little earlier. I did. I got up at 6 a.m., but I'm exhausted. I, ha- I said to my friend Becky, like, how about we just turn off the lights, hold hands, and play murder in the dark for an hour? <laughs> like, emotionally and spiritually. Huh. All right. Let's do this, though. Uh, for those of you that were with us our first day, let's just do our Yahweh breath. Can you do that with me real quick? So I taught you the spelling of Jehovah's name in the Old Testament. It is Yah and Way. And many Hebrew scholars believe that it is a breath. That when you inhale, you say Yah like this. And then you let out Way. And anytime you're stressed, it just recenters you back in Christ. I love that name. So one more time. Ready? Here we go.
fishing pole. And I, I was there for so long. I don't enjoy fishing. I was raised by a father who loves to fish. He used to be on the pro bass fishing team back in the 70s and 80s, and then he had four dogs. And so the only way he could buy a boat is my mom said, you have to take the girls with you. And so what a terrible idea. You wake us up at 5 a.m., you're going fishing. I don't want to go. So I sat there and fished and fished, and I finally caught this trout, and that smile, I mean, that is so happy. <laughs> I don't even like fish, I didn't eat it, but, but I was just thrilled to catch it. So that's how much I love camping. Going with the rain story, though, I have to tell you this, because I love camping so much that every summer, there are some women in my ward, and we do what we call mom camp. And it's strictly moms only, no dads allowed, and we take our kids up with us for three days. And it is so fun, because we say yes to everything. Mom, can I have Cheetos for breakfast? Yes. Yes. Are you going to change out of that outfit? No, not great. You can sleep in it, live in it. I don't even care. Whatever you want. It is three weeks, three days of total freedom. We sit in our camp chairs. In fact, my friend Tammy, who does mom camp, she's here. Great. There you go. I talked Tammy into camping. She does not like to camp. So I'm like, you have to come to mom camp. It's so much fun. So she's like, all right. We pack up everything. We go up into the Uintas here in Utah. And we have a wonderful first day. And then that night came a torrential down for. Um, the likes of which I've never seen. Hail, rain, lightning, and we're all in our tents. And all of a sudden, my friend Marcy, who was with us, she's a little bit more rugged, but she loves to go. In fact, she made us camp with her off the grid. We weren't even at a nice site. We were in a place where we had to dig a hole for our kids to go to the bathroom in and then cover back up. Yeah, not a good idea for little kids. We've since learned. Now we go to spruces where you pay for an entrance fee and everything's paid. But this was in New It's raining, and Marcy comes, and I see her a flashlight getting closer and closer to my tent. It's midnight. And she says, we got to get in our cars. Like, this is not safe. The lightning's way too close. We are in the eye of the storm. Get your kids in the car now. So I was like, get out of your car! So I'm grabbing my kids, and we're running to the car, and I'm shoving them in, and we're getting in the car and everything. And then I'm like, I yelled at Tammy. I'm like, Tammy, grab your kids. we got to get in the car. There's rain, and she is like, she's never camped. This is the first time mom here. And so she jumps down, she's you know, shoveling her oldest, her daughter Glory, get in, the, get in the car, and then I come out to help her, because my older kids are in the car, and I run out, and she is running towards me with Isaac in her arms, and, or sorry, Sam, her little two-year-old, and she comes up to me, and she goes, take Sam, I'm going back for Isaac. <laughs> We were huddled, and then in the morning when we woke up at like 6, 7 a.m., the aftermath, I mean, oh. it was awful. It was so bad. And I'm trying to be like, mom, can you? It's so fun. And I think Tammy still has PTSD from the whole experience. We did go this year, and it was so much fun. And so we just, we love it, mom camp. So if whether you like camping or you don't like camping, the whole reason I want to talk about this is because this is the social structure of the Old Testament. It is based on tents and tribes. This is so important to know as we go through the Old Testament. We have tents, we have tribes. And the reason why you want to have this experience and why you want to belong to tents and tribes is because in the tribe, you're going to have a kinsman. Now, this kinsman is super important. I have the why, what, who is it? So the kinsman would be, in Old Testament wording, the person who received the double portion or the birthright. He is now in charge of the entire family. 
Now, what does a kinsman do? If you have a kinsman, he will pay your debts for you. He will provide for you. He will fight your battles. He will redeem you from slavery. He will share land with you. And then he will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. I love that last one. It's almost Italian. I got a little Italian in me. But looking up at these things, I mean, who could use a kinsman today? Fantastic, right? Someone to come in. What are your debts? Let me pay them for you. Let me redeem you from anything that you're struggling with right now. So it was super important to have a head kinsman, a lord of your tribe, or a, 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 a basically like a redeemer of your tribe. Now, in order to belong to a tribe and to belong to this tent structure, you had to be a kinsman with this man. You could be a kinsman in blood, or you could be a kinsman in law. Those are the two ways you could belong to a tribe. Now, the first one is a kinsman in blood. This meant you were born in the family. Again, very Italian. Born in the family. And you automatically received all the blessings and rights and privileges that came from having him, that head kinsman, as your lord. And he would protect you because you're family. But the second way you could belong to a tribe is through kinsmen in law. This is through marriage or adoption. So if you were going to marry into a family, you would then automatically become part of that tribe or that clan. Now the cool thing about this is after you have your wonderful wedding ceremony and then you have your reception and you meet your eclairs and you get your gifts, you go on your honeymoon, you come back, you don't go live in your own tent with just you and your spouse. Part of your wedding dowry or gift would be the women would take goat's hair and they would then spin it into a panel that belonged and would be sewn onto the tent and you would then live with that tribe and the tent would just get bigger and bigger and bigger. Now this is an actual tent. My friend Roberta took a picture of it in Egypt. This exists. And the reason I chose this is because I want you to see the different colors that exist because the imagery is awesome for the whole experience of why this is important to us today. So just kind of get a look at that. So we have this tent and you can just see where they've added on. That's the different colors of materials. They're adding on to this. Now, kinsman-in-law is so cool because that's where we get son-in-law, daughter-in-law. You would become one in law with the kinsman. And, and that kinsman is going to take care of everybody who comes into his family. Now, in order to enter into this, there was another way. You could be adopted into this tribe and into this, this clan, if you will. And, the, and I love this story. This is by Hugh Nibley. And he teaches that, and this exists even today, I've been told, that if you're fleeing for your life in the wilderness and you see a tent structure set up, by law, you can go up to the door of that tent and say, Ana Dakiruka which is interpreted as, I am thy suppliant. Now, I did not know what suppliant meant, but it means basically, I'm petitioning you, I'm a beggar, help me, I will do whatever you ask. And you can ask that, and then, the head kinsman of the, of the tent, or the lord of the tent, will take his robe, or a blanket, and if he chooses to let you join his clan, he will take that robe and wrap it around your shoulders. If he chooses not to, he'll just keep his hands down and just tell you to leave. Now this is some beautiful imagery when you read 2 Nephi chapter 4, verse 33. Nephi is speaking of the gloriousness and wonderfulness of the Lord. And he says, O Lord, wilt thou encircle me around in the robe of your righteousness? He's asking God, the Lord, to be his kinsman. Will you please protect me? Will you please take care of me? He says, O Lord, wilt thou make a way for mine escape before mine enemies? Wilt thou make my path straight before me? Wilt thou not place a stumbling block in my way? But wilt thou wouldst clear my way before me and hedge not up my way, but the ways of mine enemy? 
Doesn't that sound like everything we saw that a kinsman does? That's what Nephi's asking for in that verse of scripture. If you've ever read it and thought, oh, that's nice, that's what it means. Be my kinsman, please help me. Now, part of the ritual of then being adopted into this clan or tribe was through a covenant or an oath. I mean, it was serious. If you committed to be part of this tribe or this clan, it, like, the tribesmen, the clansmen would then commit to be with you, and nothing could break that oath or that covenant. Very early examples, or not early, but a cool example of this is in 1 Nephi. Chapter 4, verse 31 and 34, and I included 31 because I just love Nephi, because he wrote his own, he wrote 1 Nephi, basically, and I just love how in 31 he's like, I, Nephi, being a man large in stature. I just wonder if his brother's like, all right, Nephi, settle down. <laughs> there he goes again. Um, having received much strength, so this is right after they receive, they get the plates, and they're trying to run away, and Laban, the, sorry, Zoram, the servant, is following them. And as they're running, he says, I have received much strength from the Lord, therefore I did seize upon the servant of Laban and held him, but he should not flee. And it came to pass that I spake with him, that if he would hearken unto my words, now in your scriptures you will mark this, as the Lord liveth and as I live. That wording right there, and you'll see this in scripture, humanly teaches that is the oath of all oaths. That is covenant wording. As the Lord liveth and as I live, even so that if he would hearken unto our words, we would spare his life. So he's saying to Zoram, as the Lord liveth and as I live, enter into this covenant with me, in verse 33, and I say unto him, even with the man, that he need not fear, that he should be a free man like unto us, if he would go down in the wilderness with us. And I also spake unto him, saying, Surely the Lord hath commanded us to do this thing, and shall we not be diligent in keeping the commandments of the Lord? Therefore, if thou wilt go down into the wilderness to my father, thou shalt have place with us. You can come live with us and we will take care of you. Now the cool thing about this is then we go to the, like the classic famous, what's your favorite scripture question in seminary? Every time I would ask my seminary students that usually on the first day of school I say everyone turn to your favorite scripture. Without fail you're going to get a big old group of kids that's going to turn to you one of two scriptures. What's the first one? Jesus wept. Shortest scripture in Bible, right? And then the second one is my father dwelt in the tent. Think about that. What is Nephi teaching us when he said in one verse, my father dwelt in a tent? He's teaching us, and my dad's the kinsman. My dad is the Lord of the tents, and he's going to take care of all of us. I never knew there was so much significance in that one little verse. I just always thought it was nice that Nephi mentioned, oh, my dad's living in a tent. We used to be rich back there in Jerusalem, and now we're not. No, he's trying to teach us, my dad's in charge, and he's going to help everybody. At the very end, you shall have place with us if you come. Now, we're going to go to a very early example of this as we have studied it this year in the Old Testament, and that is Abraham and Sarah. But I put Abram and Sarai because their names have not been changed yet. So in Abraham chapter 1, verse 1 in Genesis 12, 8, we'll go there because I've listened to your feedback and I have all my scriptures up here now. I'm so excited. I have this picture, and I don't know what it was like for you guys, but as a kid for me in church, we were not allowed to take a lot of things to color with or play with. We had to use our scriptures. And so I'm a little bit naughty, and I'm like, all right, then I will use my scriptures. And this page got colored a lot. <laughs> I had colored pencils, and I would just do, you know, I'm like, all right, I'm in my scriptures, Mom, every book of Mormon, like every color great price in our house, this picture is colored. If you've ever seen this picture, it's how the book Pearl of Great Price starts out. And it's so fun to look at in light of Abraham chapter 1, verse 1, because... This is the picture of the idolatrous priest of Elkanah, and he's attempting to offer Abraham up as a sacrifice. You have the picture, 
And then on the next page is Abraham chapter 1, verse 1. And we often, it's a total seminary joke, but we would always say, Abraham's got such a sense of humor, I can't wait to meet him. Because you have that picture, and the first thing he says is, in the land of the Chaldeans, at the residence of my fathers, I, Abraham, saw it was needful for me to obtain another place of residence. <laughs> I probably get out of here. So he's like, I've got to move. I've got to leave with my family. And then you can read the whole experience in Abraham, and it also correlates with Genesis chapter 12. So if you turn to Genesis chapter 12, verse 8, it says, And he, who's Abraham, removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel, and pitched his tent. Right there, that simple pitched his tent is telling us that Abraham's now the kinsman. He is head over everyone. He's taking his family, and he took a lot of people, a lot of animals, a lot of everything, because Lot followed him. And so Lot is going to go with Abraham, and they are going to go into Genesis chapter 12. Now, throughout the story of Abraham, we have a lot of things going on here. So this is kind of a, and you know this, Abraham had a son named Isaac, Isaac had a son named Jacob, and Jacob's name was changed to Israel. So we're going to talk about these three people, and I want to share with you some really cool scriptures about them. So we'll start first with Abraham and Sarah. And I'm just going to use my scripture quickly, because I want to make sure I say all of these things correctly. All right. So we have, in Genesis chapter 15, we started out with him and, oh, sorry, no, no. Genesis chapter 12, he's in his tent. Okay. Then we have all of the different things that Abraham's going to go through. So in Abraham chapter 13, he's a peacemaker. He says to Lot, all right, what land do you want? We have to part ways because we have so much stuff and you have so much stuff. We just can't live together anymore. I love you, but my tent's not big enough. So you're going to have to go and start your own and be the kinsman over your tent. So they part ways, and I just think it's awesome how Lot decides to pick the most well-watered of all places. And that's in Genesis chapter 13, verse 10. It even says it's like Eden. It's so beautiful. And Lot's like, yeah, I'll pick that area. And Abraham gets what would have been like the mountains in Utah, very dry and deserty. And Abraham's like, great, go ahead. So they split. Then in chapter 14, Lot gets into some trouble, and he's taken prisoner. And so Abraham goes in still providing the duties of the head of the kinsman, and he goes and fights for Lot. So that's our warrior chapter. Then in chapter 15, we get the story where then Abraham is probably going to the Lord, look, I'm old, and I don't have any children, and you told me I was going to have posterity outnumber the sands of the seashore. Like, what's going on? I got nobody. And then he says to him in verse 2, Abraham said, Lord God, what will thou give me, seeing I go childless? And the steward of my house is this Eleazar of Damascus. He's basically saying, should I just give everything and make Eleazar the steward over my whole house? Is he going to become the head kinsman when I die? Because I have nobody, no children yet. And I love how the Lord kind of just calmly talks to him like, Abraham, it'll work out. Don't worry. I got your back. And Abraham in verse 6 believed the Lord and accounted him for righteousness. So he believes. But then we have to have 16 and then we get into 17. We have all these other ways. He's like, well, maybe it's going to be Hagar. And maybe it's going to be Ishmael. And maybe, I'm not really going to, he's trying to be proactive about his problem. But then it's still so sad because it's not really fulfilling the prophecy. And then we get Genesis 17, verse 1. And when Abraham was 90 years old and 9, so 90 and 9 years old, the Lord appears unto Abraham and says unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. And I love this verse. Because forever when you read that, you're like, oh, at first when you read it, you're like, poor Abraham, like he's so sad, nothing's been fulfilled yet, he wants to know when God's going to hear his prayer, and the only answer God gives is, I just want you to be perfect. And you're like, oh, like I'm trying. But I just think this word is so cool in Hebrew. The word in Hebrew is tamim, and it comes from the root word tam in Hebrew, and that word means, oh my gosh, I love this, 
integrity. Integrity. I think the Lord is saying, okay, Abraham, you know what? Here's where the rubber meets the road. What are you going to do? Are you in or are you out? You're right. I haven't answered your prayers the way that you thought that I would. And you're right. I've given you so many opportunities. I've got promises of reward, and it just it isn't good. But I need to know. Just choose. Are you in or are you out? Because if you're in, I can offer you some pretty amazing things. And if you're out, I'm still going to love you, and you can make that choice. But as a kinsman, I can't help you. But I'll honor your decision. What do you want to do? And I think he gave Abraham a moment to think about this. And I think Abraham did. I think Abraham went to Sarah and said, what do you do? And Abram and Sarai may have talked to each other and said, I think we're all in. This is, you know, we've come this far, 99 years of being all in, right? Why quit now? And so Abram and Sarai were in. We're not going anywhere. And then we get to verse 5. This is where we have the Abrahamic covenant. And the Lord, neither shall thy name anymore be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham, for a father of many nations have I made thee. And Sarah, Sarai's name gets changed to Sarah. And then this is the Abrahamic covenant. And I think it, this is the best acronym I can have ever read or found for an Abrahamic covenant. LDS. The Abrahamic covenant is land, deliverance, and seed. I will give you your lands and your inheritance. I will give you deliverance from your enemies. And I will, I will absolutely bless you with seeds to honor with the sands of the seashore. That is what the Abrahamic covenant breaks down to for all of us. We have been promised land, deliverance, and seed by entering into a covenant with our Heavenly Father. So we have Abraham. He's all in. He decides, I'm not going anywhere. I'm committed. And then the Lord really gets him, right? In Genesis 22. Okay, great. Now sacrifice your son. You finally have one. Now let's, let's see if you're really all in. And he sure enough is. So let me get to Isaac. Now in Isaac, in Genesis chapter 22, verse 9, it says that right here, and he came to the place which God told him of, and Abraham built an altar there, and laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son. I love the wording in there. Bound Isaac his son. Many scholars agree that Isaac was well into his 30s when he was being bound. He was not a small little child. He could have so easily said, Dad, you are nuts. I'm out of here. And so when I read that I bound Isaac, his son, I believe that is when Isaac became bound to the Lord, where he was willing to offer himself as a sacrifice on that altar. And he was committed to the Lord. But then we don't read a lot about Isaac. In fact, the story of Rebecca and Esau and Jacob kind of takes center stage, and we don't know much about what Isaac does. I love this verse in Genesis 26, 25, and then this quote by A. Theodore Tuttle. In 26:25, it says, And he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there, and there Isaac's servants digged a well. It's all we really read about Isaac in his own personal life, but this quote is amazing. Altar, tent, and well. Isaac did not become an Abraham or a Jacob. He did not reach the heights of Abraham called the father of the faithful, nor was he as impressive as his son Israel, father of the twelve tribes. Yet Isaac is loved and revered. He worshipped God cared for his home, and pursued his work. He is remembered simply as a man of peace. The eloquent simplicity of his life and his unique ability to lend importance to the commonplace made him great. Now, this is the best part of the quote. Alter tented well, his worship, his home, his work. I just want you to pause there for a minute. Because I just think of all of you men in the room, you who are my Isaacs. I think of my dad, I think of my husband, who are just all about worship, home, and work. You get up, you put on your pants, you go to work. You come home, you do your best. You pray with your family, you have your calling. 
I just salute those who are the Isaacs of the world. Like, there are Abrahams and there are Jacobs, but the majority are Isaacs, and you're good because you're bound to the Lord. You don't need a lot of fanfare. You don't need a lot of accolades. You're just doing what's right. He says these basic things of life signify his relationship to God, his family, and his fellow men. Every person on earth is touched by these two. So you've got this humble, beautiful Isaac, and he's got these two quarreling sons, right? Jacob and Esau. And boy, we love that story. We love to vilify Jacob and, and, and then Esau, who sold his mess of pottage, you know, whatever. He goes, I don't want my birthright anymore. But there's something significant about that birthright because it wasn't just that he was hungry and he didn't want to be in charge. He didn't want the double portion. He didn't want to become the kinsman. Like, I don't know if I really want to take on all of that responsibility. And so he sells his birthright. He gives it to Jacob. And then Jacob gets married. Leah, Rachel, Zilpah, and Bill. I mean, I just have to give credit to all the wives. There's no way I'm not giving the names of the women because we all know ladies. There's a lot of support that goes on. Jacob's name is then changed to Israel. And this is how it's spelled, Israel. And I wanted to put how it's broken down for you so that's how we get let God prevail. So at the very, it goes right to left. So this set little kind of that theoda I talked about before, that is future tense, the verb, the way they translate their verbs. And that is a future tense of something that will happen. Then you have the middle, Sarah, that's prevail. And then L on the end is God. And that's how you get the definition, God will prevail. Future tense. So he gets his name changed. Jacob, God will prevail. Now, all of this to talk to you then about the house of Israel. Okay, I don't know about you guys, but when I was younger and well into my 20s, I maybe 30s, I used to think every time someone said house of Israel that it literally was a house in Israel. Some guy lived in. And we were going to meet him when Christ came, and we'll probably have a potluck because that's what we like. I didn't know at all. I knew it was important that it was in Israel until I finally understood Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, house of Israel. So... This is like, it's such a rudimentary drawing, and I apologize. I'm not really good with all these slides, but here we go. This is the house of Israel. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob's name is changed to Israel, and then he has 12 sons. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, and Benjamin. My only father's And then Dinah. We have to include Dinah, the only sister that's mentioned in the Old Testament by name. There were other sisters. But those are the 12 tribes of Israel. This is the house of Israel. Who of you in here? What tribe do you belong to? Oh, through Joseph we get Ephraim and Manasseh. Where are my Ephraims? Yeah. Any Manassehs? <gasps> Any Judas? Any other tribes? Maybe the other rooms. Okay, this is really cool. So I always tell my teenagers when I taught seminary, the most important thing you could possibly do as a teenager is get your patriarchal blessings. You have to teach that. If you have the chance to teach teenagers, tell them that this Sunday. It's the most important thing they can do. I would tell my kids, go get it. Yes, it's a roadmap, but you get to find out what tribe you're from. Because every one of these tribes will perform a special duty in the house of Israel, either now or when Christ comes again in the building up of his kingdom. Now, I had a student one time that went and got his blessing, and he came back on Monday, and, he, and I said, you got your blessing, what tribe are you from? And he goes, Ephraim like everybody else. <laughs> Fair. And I was like, no, Ephraim like everybody else, because Ephraim's the only tribe that gets to prepare for the second coming of Jesus Christ. That's what Ephraim's here to do. And Manasseh will assist in that work. I mean, how awesome. No wonder we're all from Ephraim, because there is a lot of work we gotta do. There is so much that the Lord needs us to help him get ready for. Now, when you get baptized, you enter into your first covenant with Christ. That is how you then 
is to partake in the Abrahamic covenant, land, deliverance, and seed. So when you're baptized, you enter into the house of Israel, you'll be assigned a tribe, you get land, deliverance, and seed, you're part of the Abrahamic covenant, and that's what all of this work is for. That is what we're trying to do. We are trying to find people that we can then bring in to the house of Israel. Now, up here, the reason why Joseph then got the birthright, this is a fun story. So, Reuben should have had it, but Reuben made a really bad mistake, and he slept with his stepmom, Bilhah. So he's out. <laughs> Simeon and Levi, you would think, okay, well, then maybe it should go to the second brother. No. Simeon and Levi made a huge mistake because what happens is, in Genesis, a prince of one of the nearby lands comes in, takes Dinah, and violates her. And the brothers are furious, and they go to their dad, and the dad's like, we're not going to retaliate. You're not a boring people, just let it go. And Simeon and Levi are not having it. They're like, no, we are going to fight. And so Simeon and Levi go back to that prince who hurt their sister and said, hey, look, here's the deal. We know you want to marry our sister, but you can't because you're not from the house of Israel. You don't belong to our tribe. But here's the deal. If you and all of the men in your village will get circumcised, then you'll be part of the covenant and you can marry our sister. And the prince and the king are like, done. And so they go to their village and they say, all right, everybody, you're all getting circumcised tonight. All the men do in the entire village. And the scripture literally says, and while the men were still sore, Simeon and Levi come in with their whole tribe and destroy and kill all the men in the entire village. Have you heard that story? Yeah. Oh, it's crazy, I know. So, Simeon and Levi, Jacob's so mad, you're out. You don't get the birthright. Then it wouldn't go to Judah because it's just never gone to a son. In fact, you would think, okay, well, maybe it will go to the firstborn of the first handmaid. No, it doesn't. It then goes to the firstborn of the next wife, who would be Rachel, who would be Joseph. And that's why Joseph gets the birthright. And so then when you go into the story about Joseph and the amazing Technicolor green coat, turns out it wasn't a green coat. It actually, according to many scholars, they believe that he actually what it was was the garment of Adam. It was the priestly garments that he would have worn in the temple as the head kinsman as the head person taking care of his family. It was a very sacred garment, very holy, and they were very jealous of their brother. Why'd their younger brother get it, and why is he loved more? Because he's going to take care of us. And they clearly did not see that. They didn't know that. So then as you read the story later on, and they're all in Egypt, and the whole big saga and drama, I love how Joseph at the end forgives his brothers and then invites them to come live with them in Egypt. Let me take care of you. I'm the head kinsman. I got your backs. And he will, he will take care of his family for there on out. Is how we do it on time. Oh, we're good. Okay, perfect. All right, so what does all of this have to do with us? And what, and I said earlier that we have this Isaiah 54 and Moroni 10, which is so cool. Here's the so what. We're going to go back to that house of Israel again. Now, I want you to think back to the tent that we started with at the very beginning. And with this idea that we talked about with the, with the kinsman who's over us. Because when we put ourselves back into that house of Israel, Jesus is our kinsman. He is our divine kinsman. In fact, there's a beautiful word for him in Hebrew. It's goel. He is the redeemer. He is the one that we are coming to, like Nephi said. And we are crying out, I mean, how many of you have entered the temple doors and thought, I am that suppliant. Please help me. I am petitioning for help. And then the Lord embraces you in his robe of righteousness. And he pulls you in. He lets you enter into his tent, into his clan, into his tribe, where he is going to completely take care of you. He is going to pay your debts. He is going to deliver you from your enemy. He is going to bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. Everything that we talked about the kinsman does, 
That is what our Savior Jesus Christ will do for us as our head, divine kinsman, and we belong to him. Now, I think this is cool because the name Jesus. So, Jesus is the Greek version of the Hebrew name Joshua. Joshua in Hebrew is Yeshua, and Yeshua in Hebrew means to deliver or to rescue. And what will he deliver and rescue us from? Everything we've talked about. Debt, battles, famine, our enemies, everything. How awesome then? Because I asked earlier, who could use a kinsman? Boy, now for sure, who knows their kinsman? Boy, we all do. And I challenge you, if you don't, to get to know him. Read about him. Learn who he is and how much he loves you. And that he will fight your battles for you. And there's no end to how many times he'll fight for you. We learned that this week in Psalms, in our Come Follow Me lesson. There is no end to how many times he will come to your aid or your help. You can't even, it, that's what I love about it. Like it's already been paid for. The well is not dry. Just keep taking from it. The Lord loves you. He wants you to return to him. And so when he says he'll do that for us, we have this beautiful vision of now, as he is our head, our divine kinsman, we get to go into Moroni chapter 10, verse 31. So this is really fun, and I think it's so cool. In Moroni chapter 10, there is this awesome little scripture. So Moroni is about to leave. He is ending his Book of Mormon writings. He doesn't have very much more to write. He's kind of at the end. This is it for him. And he's writing, he's writing, he's writing. And then all of a sudden, he sticks this verse in. And I can remember studying this when I was doing Book of Mormon last year for the podcast. And I was getting ready to teach Moroni 10, and I had just finished this lesson with my Hebrew teacher. And I read this verse, and I had this awesome aha moment, and I called her because I'm like, Carly, am I crazy, or is this what really is being said in here? And so she turns to it, and she reads it, and she looks it over, and she's like, I think that's what this is. She's like, I've never seen this before. I missed it, and now it makes so much sense. So here's Moroni, he's writing, and then all of a sudden he sticks this verse in. It's a combination of Isaiah chapter 52 and 54, and this is what he says. And awake and arise from the dust, O Jerusalem. Yea, and put on thy beautiful garments, O daughter of Zion. Here it is. And strengthen thy stakes and enlarge thy borders forever, that thou mayest no more be confounded. Now think about that. Remember the tent at the very beginning? When you marry in, we add on a piece, and we make the tent bigger so we can have everybody living with us in the tent. That's what this is. Strengthen thy stakes, enlarge thy borders. Add more pieces, because there's a lot more people coming. When you read that wording in Isaiah Moroni, that is what is, that's what we're asked to do by our prophet today. That is the gathering of Israel. He wants us to gather, and we've got to strengthen our strengths, enlarge our borders, because there's a lot more people coming in. We're going to join the house of Israel. We'll still probably have a potluck. There's a lot of people to be. We're all going to come, and we're going to live together. And then at the end, he says, that the covenants of the eternal Father, which he hath made unto thee, O house of Israel, may be fulfilled. The covenants of land, deliverance, and seed. That's the fulfillment. We have been asked to assist in the fulfillment of that covenant. That is so awesome. Like, how incredible that we get this opportunity. Those of you here from, that's why you're here. And Manasseh, that's it. I think it's so incredible. So we have this. But I'm really hoping this works. Okay. Okay. Oh, I don't have sound. And the Lord is hastening his work to gather Israel. That gathering is the most important thing taking place on earth today. Nothing else compares in magnitude. Nothing else compares in importance. Nothing else compares in majesty. 
And if you choose to, if you want to, you can be a big part of it. You can be a big part of something big, something grand, something majestic. When we speak of the gathering, we are simply saying this fundamental truth. Every one of our Heavenly Father's children on both sides of the veil deserves to hear the message of the restored gospel of Jesus Christ. So I want you to take a minute right now. And Tonight we want you to know that the game. Okay. I want you to take a minute and write down what are some of the ways that you can help God prevail. If the whole purpose of this is to help in the gathering, it totally changed and reframed letting God prevail in our lives. When the prophet gave that talk, I was like, yeah, I want God to prevail in my life. And then when I connected it to strengthening our stakes and enlarging our borders, then I'm like, wow, letting God prevail. Like, he will only prevail with our help. He will only prevail through the gathering so that everybody can find participants in this land, deliverance, and sea so that they can have the Abrahamic covenant. Now, the prophet has taught many different ways we can do this. On the other side of the veil, when we do work for the dead, that is letting God prevail. When we do our ministering, that is letting God prevail. There are so many countless ways we can let him prevail, and I want you to take a minute and write down, what is it that the Spirit's telling you to do right now, different in your life, to let God prevail? I'll just give you one minute. said to be on my knees in his house and about my work. About his work. Oh my gosh, thank you. I love that. Be on your knees in his house and about his work. Who else? Yeah, right here. Be a peacemaker. Oh, be a peacemaker. I love that. The example of Abraham as that peacemaker. Thank you. Who else? Yeah, right here. I love So she said she has a French Book of Mormon that she wants to give to a friend who's been sitting on her bookshelf and she knows she needs to give it. So you're going to send it. You're going to send it? Give it. Give it. I love it. You, you send me a message after you've done it. I'm holding you accountable now. Look at that. It's so nice. Who else? Right here. Try again. Oh, that is so perfect. Just keep trying. That is a great answer. Anyone else? Yes. Oh, to see all the families that exist, our individual families or the state. I think that's beautiful. And recognize that everyone is a family. Thank you so much. Yeah, I just want you to kind of think 
about what your role is in preparing for the second coming of Jesus Christ because Christ is coming. I am convinced of that. He is absolutely coming. And I can't wait till that day happens. And I love that we get to be here in the winding up scenes of the second coming of Jesus Christ. He needs you. He needs every single one of us in all of the skills and the gifts that he has given us. You all have a spiritual gift for a reason. Everyone in here have at least one. We know that from scripture. Find out what that is if you don't know. Read your patriarchal blessing. Find out what your spiritual gift is. Ask the Lord to tell you what your spiritual gift is and then get to work. He will use you. I am convinced of that. I've seen that happen in my own life. And as he uses you, you will see miracle after miracle. And that's what the Old Testament is about. It's just miracle story after miracle story and the goodness of God as he is the head kinsman, as he's protecting his people, and he has your back. And I shared that with you yesterday, and I want to share it with you one more time because it's such a good scripture. In Psalms chapter 56, we'll just go there really quick. It's so good. I don't have a slide for it because I just thought of it right now. All right, here we go. Psalms 56, verse 9. Oh, sorry. It's like Kristen, right? You can never find the scripture when you want to find it. All right, here we go. Psalms 56, 9. In 8, I love it. Thou tellest my wanderings, put thou tears into my bottle, are they not in my book? That is such a beautiful verse. And then 9. When I cry unto thee, then shall mine enemies turn back. This I know, for God is for me. He's for you. He just is, and he loves you. And I have testimony of that. And I just want to leave that with you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Amen.